Welcome to the Church on the Rock podcast. It is our prayer that this message brings hope and encouragement into your life as you go about your week. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Feels like we already had church. <laughs> but uh, if you don't know me, I'm Braden. Uh, I lead the worship here and I do the tech. And uh, I'm preaching today. We're starting a new series today, and it's called uh, Mirrors. Mirrors, reflecting the image of God. And so today I kind of want to uh, preview this series and kind of tell you where that comes from and what it means and what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. When I was on my way to uh, church today, um, I was on my computer, uh, my wife was driving, I was not driving on my computer. Uh, it's not a good thing to do. Uh, so I was on my computer, I was looking at my sermon and uh, adding some things to it, working, working through it, and uh, as I began to look through my sermon document, uh, I began to see big white blank spaces in between paragraphs, X's, P's, Random signs, and um, I had a little bit of a freak out moment. And uh, so what had happened was uh, this morning I had my computer open on um, uh, my bed. And, um, well, I have a two-year-old son, if you didn't know. (laughs) I have a two-year-old, and... um, He's a little bit wild. He, he may not show that around you, uh, but put him in a comfortable environment. He's a whole different animal. And uh, so he, uh, he messed up my sermon and <laughs> got rid of about half of it. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I was able to restore it. I was able to restore it, so um, we're good. I just had a little bit of a freak out. Um, but it, it, all, it all, you know, we're talking about mirrors, and one of my favorite uh, Christian writers of music is, is a guy named John Mark McMillan. And he, he has a song that I heard when my son was about one, so really hit home with me, um, and it's called Magic Mirror. And in that song, one, one of the verses, he writes um, that the markings on the wall are orange and green and blue. I come home to find the evidence of you. And he's talking about his son. And um, he says, are you some kind of magic mirror? Uh, come to show to me God in my own face. Um, because the little ones are images of God. And, and we're all images of God. And, uh, but sometimes it's a little bit easier to see it in, in a little innocent face, to see God uh, portrayed there. But, but we all mirror God um, to, to one another. And, and uh, you know, I have to have my token C.S. Lewis quote, um, because I pretty much always use him. Um, but, but C.S. Lewis, how he described Christ followers, um, which is what many of us are, uh, he, he described us as angled Mirrors, angled mirrors, and I brought a mirror just to kind of give you 
the visual of what he's talking about. Um, but a mirror, uh, when, it's, when it's angled, when it's straight on, of course, you see your reflection. Uh, but when a mirror is angled, it begins to refract the light. And you begin to see uh, either up above or outwards from the mirror. And what, what Lewis is, is trying to demonstrate is that like, as Christ followers, we receive light from God. And as an angled mirror, we project that light out into the world. And on the flip side, whenever others look at us, when they look at an angled mirror, they don't see what's in front of them. They see upwards. They see what's going up. And so in everything we do as angled mirrors, we are both reflecting God to others, and then, and then others are looking to us and are seeing God through the way we live our lives. But just as we can correctly portray God as a mirror, um, we can let his light shine through us um, in the world. We can also incorrectly portray God to others. Uh, whenever we have you know, misinformation in our lives, whenever we have misunderstandings about who God is, when we have biases, when we have uh, offenses, etc., all of these things play into the way that we mirror God and his image. Throughout life, our mirrors can become dusty. Our mirrors can become filmed with, with dirt and with dust. And, and whenever a, a mirror is dirty, it's just dull. It doesn't reflect. You can't see with any clarity what, what it's trying to show you. Our, our mirrors can become fragmented. Whenever we, whenever we drop a mirror, a mirror will break into pieces. And throughout life, there are things in our lives and there's circumstances and, and there's, there's uh, times where we get broken. We become broken and our mirror can become fragmented. And when you look in a fragmented mirror that has been broken, uh, you, you can see a little bit of the image that, that is being reflected. You can kind of piece together here and there, but ultimately it doesn't show the true picture. It shows a lot of blemishes. It shows a lot of lines and a lot of cracks in the mirror. And sometimes in life our mirrors can become like those uh, like funhouse mirrors. Like if you've ever been to a funhouse like at the Navy Pier um, they have some of these, and you stand there, and, and your head gets really small, and then, like, your waist gets really big, and, and sometimes that is how our mirror is, and sometimes we, we can begin to exaggerate certain beliefs about God, you know, certain beliefs that we prefer about God, and then we can begin to minimize beliefs or truths about God that, that we may rather not believe or that we may uh, not be very comfortable with. So we can maximize and we can minimize the way that we're portraying the character of God. And so all that to say is that in order to have a proper reflection of the image of God, 
to the world around us. It's essential that we would develop a biblical theology. And, and your theology is just whatever comes to your mind when you think about God. When you think about God, what do you think? And when you put the word biblical in front of that, what we're saying is that whenever you think about God, you think about what the Bible says about him. So we need to form a biblical theology of who God is. Uh, This is a really common quote, and I think it's so common because it resonates so well. But A.W. Tozer, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we believe God is this way, we believe God is that way, that informs who we become as a person. If you, if you think back to whenever we were in the Shaped series and we showed two different uh, diagrams of spiritual formation and there was an unintentional formation and on one of those points, it was, it was stories we believe. Stories we believe shape our lives. They make us become who we are becoming. And then on the flip side, if you're intentional about spiritual formation, then it's the teaching that you receive that forms you and that shapes you. And that teaching comes from the Word. And so again, if, if we want to be shaped into the image of Christ, then we have to be intentional about developing a biblical theology of who God is. The problem is oftentimes we start, whenever we think about God, we start with who we are, right? We, 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 we take what we have inside of us and then we, we project that on God and we begin to understand God in the light of who we are. And, and so in other words, we tend to make God look an awful lot like ourselves. It, it's often attributed to Mark Twain, this quote. I'm not sure if he said it or not, but it, it goes, In the beginning, God created man in his image. And being the gentleman that we are, we return the favor. We often make God into our image. And for some of us, so for some of us, that we, we never really settle on who we are in life. And, and we bounce around from, from, from job to job to hobby to hobby to, to, to uh, spouse to spouse and, and, and country to country. And, and, and we never have any stability. And, and whenever that is the case, if we project that onto God, if we, if we project our unknowingness of who we are on God, then we will never know who God is. We will feel the same way about him. We will feel like we can never put our finger on him. We'll feel like we can never really know who he is or what his character is like. And, and, and we'll never really have a firm understanding of who God is if we project him on that. We often find a, a preferred image of God. And we can find that in um, a variety of things. We could find that in a celebrity. We could find that in a mother or in a father. We could find that in an athlete, um, whatever. And, and when we find that preferred image of God, then we, then we begin to try to imitate that person. And we try to become that person 
rather than becoming the, the, the one, like the one who has engraved his image on our hearts, who has made us in his image. And so whenever we do that, whenever we chase an image of God that is not God, that is just something that we've chosen, then whenever we try to become that person, even if we do become that person, we will still feel unsettled because it will not be the person that God created us to be. Like I can look to a musician or I can look to an athlete and I can do everything in my power to become like them. But even when I reach that goal, if I even reach that goal, I still would not be fulfilled because it is not the image of God that he has put inside of me. So because we often start on the wrong end of defining who God is by starting with ourselves, we have to flip the tables. We have to start with who God is. When we start with who God is, then we can develop an understanding of who we are. And so there's, there's so much there's so much pursuit and there's so much talk about finding yourself. There's so much talk about finding yourself, about being yourself, um, about being who you are, about you doing you. And it seems like there's freedom in that. But the only freedom we will ever find is whenever we tap into the image of God in our lives. And whenever we become the image of God and we become a mirror of who he is. Because when we become who he has called us to be, that is when we are who we really are supposed to be. And that's the only fulfilling thing in life. And so if we start with God, God Genesis 1.1, we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that's the very first scripture of the Bible. And what we determine from that is God is creator. God is creator. So God is creator who then creates mankind in his image. And that's Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground, over everything. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, verse 28, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we see right here in the very first chapter that God is creator. And what is God doing? He is creating mankind in his image. Jeff Vanderstelt's book, Saturate, really inspired what I'm about to expound upon here. But from the very first chapter of the Bible, we find out God is creator. We find out that he created us in his image. And so therefore that informs that who we are are his image bearers, right? If he created us in his image, then we are his image bearers. And then when God says... Be fruitful and increase in number. He tells us what we do. We co-create to create more image bearers to fill the earth with God's glory. 
So there alone, you have a basis from which to find out who you are. You are created in the image of God. You are his image bearer. And you are to fill the earth with image bearers. So what happens when that gets messed up? What happens when we forget who God is? Or if we forget what God's done? You don't have to go too far in the Bible to find out. If you go just a chapter over in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, we'll set this up. Genesis 2, 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So basically, God is saying, Don't go outside of what I have given you to find fulfillment in. Don't go outside of the purposes that I've given you. Don't go outside of all of these good things that I've created for you. There's one thing here, and I don't want you to to, to touch from that. So so just, just stay away from that. He's also saying, believe in who I am. Believe in who I am and and, and believe in what I've done and show that to me through obedience and everything will be good. If you will just believe in who I am and believe in what I've done and show that through obedience and everything will be good. But then the next chapter in Genesis 3, verse 1, It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So you've got the serpent here, the tempter. And the first thing he's doing is he's calling into question who God is. Isn't that interesting? The first thing he calls into question is God's identity. The first temptation we read about in the whole Bible And it begins with distorting the image of God. The serpent says, did God really say this? That isn't isn't true. He's lying to you. God's not who you think he is, Eve. See, I, I know what God's like. And right now, God is tricking you. He's tricking you. He's lying. He's not telling you the truth. You you can't trust him. You can't trust him. And come on, this is happening like all the time in Christians and in non-Christians' lives. Like the enemy is saying, God's not caring. Right? I know you've heard that. I, I know you've read that in that one book. I, I, know, I know the pastor tells you that. 
I know, it, I know that, that you read the verse about it, but, but God's not caring. I mean, you know, the enemy says, look at what's going on in your life. You know, look, look at all the tragedy. Look, look at all the sorrow that's around you. God's not caring. He, he says, God's not just. He says, God, God the, the most corrupt and powerful people are the ones that, that have the most things in life. They, they're the ones that are the most blessed. You, you know, how can you think God is just? God's not just. You know, the enemy will come to you in, in an hour of loneliness. He'll say, God is not with you. God's not with you. Like, how, how, could, how could God be with you after all the stuff you've done? He'll tell you that. He'll call into question the very character of God. Just like he did with Eve. Which is why it's of utmost importance that we have a firmly grounded biblical theology of who God is. Because he is who he says he is. He is who he says he is. But we've got to know who he says he is. All right? We've got to know verses like Exodus 34, 6, and 7 that says that he is compassionate, that he is gracious, that he is slow to anger, that he is abounding in love and faithfulness, and that he is forgiving, and that he is just. We've got to know who God says he is. Because when the enemy comes and tries to tell you who he's not, you've got to have something to stand on. The second thing the serpent calls into question is what God's done. He says in verse 5, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But, but God already made them like God in the story. We just read. So God created man in his own image. They were already like God. But the temptation here is to go outside of God for our identity. Eve was already like God, but there's a temptation there to go outside of what God had already done and to eat of the fruit so that she could become what she thought she needed to be, but she already was. We begin to think that when we eat from the fruit, then we will find ourselves that when we've reached the job position, that when we've reached that certain economic status, that, that when we've achieved that particular goal in our lives, so we've reached that certain dream, then we will have found ourselves. For, for some, it's even a reliance on how much they can do for God. You know, when, when I become this good of a person, then that's when I will have security and peace in my identity. That all stems from this moment in history when they were led to believe that what God had done wasn't enough. Because of that, the identity of humanity was shattered. When, when Eve decided that she needed to take it into her own hands, then we took the authority from God. And it shattered the identity of who we were. Perfect images of him. Because of that, we're all broken vessels in need of mending. Because see, when, 
when you're wrong about who God is, and when we don't trust what he has done, then, then we won't know who we are, and we won't know what to do. We can only fumble through life, filling ourselves with apples, and they'll never be enough. But I've got good news because God wouldn't settle for that. Because that is who God is. All right? So God sent Jesus. And Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. I like how the message says it. It says this Son perfectly mirrors God. And is stamped with God's nature. He holds everything together by what he says. Powerful words. He mirrors God. So Jesus came and he mirrored the image of God. He showed us our original true identity. And became the model for us to reflect that. So if we ask the question, who is God? Jesus is God. So what did Jesus do? He gave his life in sacrificial love so that we could be saved and so that we could enter into the family of God. And if we let those things inform who we are, then we are part of a family when we call upon his name and we become his children. And thus what we do is we give our lives in sacrificial love for one another. See how it works? When you start with who God is and you see what God's done, then you know who you are and then you know what you need to do. Identity is so significant to calling. Which is why when we seek the will of God for our lives, rather than asking, what should I do? The better question is, who should I be? Because developing an understanding of who God calls you to be or your identity brings a natural outflow of what God wants you to do, your function. With the fall, Eve acted in neglect of her identity, right? I mean, why would she have eaten the apple if she really understood that she was already like God? Like the tempter, the serpent, Satan, he's saying, eat this and you'll become like God. If Eve would have had that understanding of she, she was already like God or had the trust in that, then she wouldn't have even eaten of the fruit. It's easy to stall out on questions like, where should you live or who should you marry or um, any, any big life decisions. It's easy to just kind of get in a rut with these things and feel like we're not hearing from God. And, and the Holy Spirit does give wisdom into these things. But a lot of times the choices might, might be equal. Like it might be a choice between something good and something good. Or it might be a choice between something bad and something bad. And so the, the, sometimes it's very difficult to discern. And as Jen Wilkin points out in her book, In His Image, God is more with the decision maker than the decision itself. That is so good. Sometimes you aren't getting clarity on a decision because you aren't ready to move forward 
with that. Because God wants to deal with something in your identity first. So over the next several weeks, we're going to find out who God is. And each week, we're going to take on a character trait of God. And we're going to say, this is who God is. This is what he's done. And that is going to tell us who we are and how we should be. And when we get our identity in order, then we will begin to find our function. It's going to be good. Mark 12, 13 through 17, illustrates this just a little bit in picture form, which is always good. It says, they sent some Pharisees and followers of Herod to bait him, to bait Jesus, hoping to catch him saying something incriminating. They came up and said, teacher, we know you have integrity, that you are indifferent to public opinion. You don't pander to your students and teach the way of God accurately. Tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He knew it was a trick question, Jesus did. And he said, why are you playing these games with me? Bring me a coin and let me look at it. They handed him one. This engraving, who does it look like? Whose name is on it? Caesar, they said. Jesus said, give Caesar what is his and give God what is his. Their mouths hung open, speechless. Now, I have to think there's something under the surface going on here. Because... I don't know if it's that astonishing for Jesus to just take a coin and say, this is Caesar, so it belongs to Caesar. I think he's speaking on a different level here. The kind of coin that uh, was probably used was um, a Tiberius denarius, and we have the picture there. Um, These are still, like, around, which is pretty cool, like, You can actually buy them on eBay if you have enough money. Um, But this is the coin, and you can see that there's an engraven image here that says who the coin belongs to, and then there's this inscription around it as well that writes the name on it. So there's more going on here than a question about government and taxes. The engraving on that coin looked like Caesar. So Jesus says it belongs to Caesar. It it carries the name of Caesar, so it's his. But it follows that if the engraving had looked like God, whatever God looks like, and, and carried God's name, it would have belonged to God. And so that's the coin I want to be. I want to be the coin that is engraved with the image of God, that mirrors him, that shows him, that puts him on display, so that when anyone looks, they know I belong to God. And they see this is what God is like. I believe the life of Peter exemplifies this. As I close this morning in Acts chapter 3, 
Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at them, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, silver, gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. There was a miracle that occurred. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping, praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So a miracle happens through Peter. And then a crowd begins to form around him. And Peter's standing in Solomon's colonnade, and he takes the moment to preach the gospel to this crowd of people. But how did Peter get to this point of function? How did Peter get to a place where he's walking down the road, and he allows a miracle to happen through him, and then a crowd is drawn to him, and then he preaches the gospel, and many are saved? I mean, that's what we would like to be doing, right? Like, we, we would like to be a part of that. So how did Peter get there? Peter got there through a life spent with Jesus, learning who he is, and fighting through identity issues. When, when Jesus first called Peter, Peter was in his fishing boat. Jesus says, follow me. Peter threw down his nets and he followed Jesus. He believed that Jesus was who he said he was. When Jesus was walking on the water and, and Peter, Peter sees him and Peter says, you know, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. All right, so with the assurance of Jesus' identity, he took a couple steps out on the water. But you know, as his, as his belief kind of weakened, he began to sink. He denied his identity of following Jesus three times. And after Jesus resurrected, he was restored from that decision. It shows who God is, that God is faithful and that God is forgiving and, and now here in Acts, confident of who God is and what he's done, because of all those identity issues that he had in the past, he has overcome. He knows who God is. He knows what he's done. So he knows who he is and he knows what he is to do. And he ministers to the many. 
He knows who he is. He says, silver or gold, I don't have that, but I'll give you what I have. I know what I need to do. I just need to say the word. And the miracle's going to happen. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. One of the ways that happens is through us becoming mirrors, reflectors, showing the glory of who God is to the world. And by the end of this series, we are going to know who God is so that we can do just that. Final scripture is 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is the journey that we are on together through the next several weeks. It says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. In the footnotes, that word contemplate can be substituted with reflect. So, and we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. We are going to be transformed from glory to glory. The more we know about God, the more we know about us, and the more we become like him. If we could all just... Kind of take a minute and bow our heads and just kind of close our eyes and just kind of still our hearts and just prepare to respond. If the band would come and just begin to play. I've said a lot today. We've gone over a lot, but I think one of the main things that's really resonated this morning is that some of our mirrors need, need dusted off. And some of our mirrors that have been broken and that are fragmented, they need mended, they need restored. And so, I think the best way to just respond where you are is, is to just invite the Holy Spirit into this journey with you. Invite the Holy Spirit that over the next few weeks and, 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 and tomorrow and the day after and the day after, as you begin to read Scripture, that the Holy Spirit will begin to show you who God is. I pray that as we approach Scripture, that we will begin to approach it from the, from the point of finding out who God is. That, that we would not start backwards and that we would not approach Scripture trying to find out who we are or what we're supposed to do, but we would approach Scripture finding out who God is and then that it would flow from there. Pray that the Holy Spirit would just give you the eyes to see who God is and to believe who God is and to trust in his word and to trust in his character. That that wounds in your heart 
and misunderstandings about God and untruths about God would begin to just be removed from your life. And that they would be replaced with a biblical theology. That they would be replaced with an accurate portrayal of our God. And that, 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 that the Holy Spirit will begin to shape you and form you into a mirror that reflects the light and glory of God to every person you see. That people would not, when they look at you, they would not see you, but they would see Jesus. That the mirror of your life would point them upwards to get a vision of God and to be saved. And that, that we could begin to take on the, the, the qualities and the traits that God wants us to, to have, that, that we would be open to receiving that from him. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that, that you are going to use the next few weeks, God, to, to just help us re-image you in our lives so that we have a clear and complete picture of who you are with unwavering faith, God, and Lord, that, that you would use the next few weeks to just inform us and shape us and create mirrors so that the earth will be filled with your glory as the waters of the sea. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. information and to stay up to date with what's happening in the life of Church on the Rock, please visit us on the web at cotrag.org. Thanks again for tuning in.